Hello and welcome everyone to KSQD Santa Cruz at 90.7 FM. I'm Patrick Hart and you're listening to our show, What To Be, where we interview inspiring people and highlight their careers. What To Be is a program provided by Your Future Is Our Business, a Santa Cruz County nonprofit that helps students explore careers through programs such as college and career expos, panels, and other work-based learning activities. Please note that the views and opinions expressed in this program do not necessarily represent or reflect those of Natural Bridges Media or your future as our business. The information provided during this program does not reflect its career in its entirety. And today, I have the pleasure to speak to Allison Paradise, who's the founder and CEO of the Epicenter, which is an organization that helps provide an experience of empowerment. Hi, Allison. Hi. Hi. Thank you so much for taking your time to join us on the show today. I really appreciate Yeah, I really appreciate it. Thank you very much for having me. Oh, you're very welcome. Allison, do you want to briefly describe your career journey for us? Yes. Although briefly might be challenging, I'll (laughs) do my best. Thank you. Um, Yeah. I'm going to start from the very, very beginning. When I was three years old, my parents purchased a book that I used all the way through high school that asked at the end of every year questions like, what do you want to be when you grow up? and who your friends were, and what classes you liked, and things like that. And at the end of my first preschool year, we sat down with this book, and my mother asked me what I wanted to be when I grew up. And I said, a teacher. And she looked at me very confused, and she said, you can't do that. And I didn't understand, so I just you know, went on with my life. And the next year happened, and we opened up the book, and I said, teacher. And she said again, no pick something else. And I think by then I'd probably started gymnastics. So I added gymnast just so that we could move on. And every year this would happen. And every year she would say, you need to do something else. You can't do that. And by the time I was 12, I'd long since forgotten about teacher because I'd already been told I couldn't do that. And I'd formulated this idea in my mind that I needed to do something that was meaningful. That was really what she kept saying. And not that she didn't think teachers did meaningful work because interestingly, she herself was a teacher. She just had it in her mind that I could do more than whatever it was that she was doing in the classroom. And we were asked that year in school, what do you want to be when you grow up? And then we had to do a whole report about it. I chose neurosurgeon. I'm not, I can make up a story about why I chose neurosurgeon. I mean, I thought the brain was interesting. I knew that surgery was really challenging. I thought if I combined these two things, it would be the most challenging, highest possible level that I could achieve. And that's what it seemed like everybody was pushing me towards. It's probably why I chose it. I honestly don't remember exactly why, but it stuck. The real challenge was that it stuck. Everybody got really excited. Oh my gosh, you're going to be a neurosurgeon. We're going to have the first neurosurgeon in the family. And everybody in my small town became really, really supportive of this idea so that when I went to college, I was pre-med so that I could be a neurosurgeon. And if you'd asked me when I was 18 about this choice to become a neurosurgeon, I would have told you a story about this choice. And it would have sounded really, really convincing. I would have shared with you books I had read and that I had volunteered in a hospital and met people. 
I'd even done surgery. Somehow the small town I grew up in let me do surgery when I was in high school. So I'd had all of these experiences and I could create this amazing story about, about why I wanted to be a neurosurgeon. So I'd go away to university and within the first year, I get really, really sick and I'm having these incredibly intense stomach pains. Nobody can figure out what's going on. And by my sophomore year, the pains were so bad that I was missing classes sometimes and I couldn't figure it out. So I thought something's not right here. And I took the summer between my sophomore and junior years to go to Spain to live there for the summer. I'd been studying neuroscience, obviously, and also Spanish literature. So I spoke a bit of Spanish and I had been to Spain in a class trip when I was 15. And it struck me as the right place to go. And at this time, there was obviously there was internet and there were phones and things. I'm not quite that old, but it was not as ubiquitous as it is now. So when I left to go to Spain, I really separated myself from my friends and my family. And being there in a foreign country with a language that I spoke, but learned quickly, I was actually not fluent in, despite what the university was telling me. I had a lot of time to reflect. I had a journal and I would write in it every day to try to understand what was happening with me. Why was I so miserable? I was at a great university. I loved the university where I was. And there was a wonderful community of people who were supporting me in everything I kept saying I wanted to do. So what was wrong? And what I came to see, of course, is that I didn't want to be a doctor. I had no interest in being a doctor. I wanted to be a teacher. I am a teacher. And there was no reason for me to be, have gone down this path of, of thinking I want to be a doctor. And when I started to resolve where these ideas had come from and all of the social expectations and all of the social conditioning and all of the things that were told about who we should be, and those started to come away, I felt myself emerging and I felt really strong. I came back to Providence. I was in school in Rhode Island and, and then I was back in everything again with my family and my friends and the university. And I, I managed to not be pre-med, but I didn't quite escape far enough to be able to do the thing that was in my heart. And I started doing research and I'd actually been doing research since high school in laboratories. I worked at a pharmaceutical company when I was in high school. And then I, my freshman year, I was working in a lab that worked on neuronal circuitry modeling. It's been so long since I've had to think about this. I'm pretty sure that's the right thing. It's what we worked on was in essence, the precursor to the Neuralink thing that Elon Musk is developing. Mm -hmm. So I worked in a lab that did that. And then I worked in a lab that looked at muscular dystrophy. Anyway, I did a lot of research and I graduated college and I wanted to start a school and that the idea for the school was to create a space where people could follow what was truly in their hearts and not have all of these things that you're supposed to be or things you're supposed to do floating around in the space. But everyone told me I couldn't do it because I'd graduated with degrees in neuroscience and Spanish literature, not with a degree in education. And I had no experience. And there were all these reasons why I couldn't do it. So I went back into research because it was something I knew how to do. And I spent two years in between undergrad and grad school doing research. Then I went to graduate school for neuroscience research. And I was 
getting my PhD and I was miserable. Yeah, I'm just, I'm not a bad scientist. I'm quite a good scientist, but I don't enjoy it. It's not who I am. And I left the PhD program, which created a lot of stress. I was in a PhD program at Harvard for neuroscience. And as you can imagine, all the pressure that was being put on me by family and friends that led to my deciding to go to that place. When I finally said, I can't do this anymore, it was it was almost catastrophic. People were begging me to stay and saying, you're throwing away your life and what it's going to become of you. And I can't believe you would waste this opportunity. And I left and I moved across the country to Los Angeles. And then I worked as a consultant for a few years, which I'm going to gloss over because it's very uninteresting for me personally. It was, it was really just something I needed to, to not be doing research and to be doing something else and be able to live. Mm-hmm. And then uh, in 2013, I looked at my life and I thought, what am I doing? <laughs> like, what is this even? This is not what three-year-old, five-year-old me wanted for my life. And I left my consulting job and I started a nonprofit called Migraine Lab that focused on sustainability and science. So again, I didn't quite go in the direction where I had where I really wanted to go because people kept telling me I couldn't do that. But this was sort of a a way for me to start to do that because I was able to go and talk to people about sustainability and science, which at the time really wasn't a thing. And the approach that I took to talking to people about it was questioning their behavior. So asking why, and I I actually gave a talk about this. There's a, a TED talk about this called Our Little World. If you're interested, you can watch kind of how that philosophy of questioning our behavior, why we do things the way that we do was so powerful in transforming people's relationship with themselves and their work and the planet. Because now rather than saying you should do this, people were able to understand, well, is this something that I that's really true for me? Is this the best choice for me, for my work, for the planet, for this situation that I'm in? And I did that for seven years and the, the nonprofit became this a global enterprise and, and it continues, uh, but I left, I resigned in 2020 to start the epicenter. I didn't know that I was starting the epicenter when I resigned. I just felt that I had created something that was getting really big. I was flying all over the world, lots of recognition for the work that I was doing and had started a global movement in laboratory sustainability. And if I didn't leave, that was going to be the rest of my life. We'd be having this conversation about my life trajectory that had me start this massive nonprofit and about all the wonderful things that that has led to. And that still wasn't me. So finally, it's taken me a very, very long time. (laughs) Finally, I'm doing the thing that I'm meant to do. And it doesn't look like a school anymore. The idea is to create a retreat center where younger people can come for a week or two weeks to essentially do what I was able to do in Spain, which is get away from all of the social expectations, all the social conditioning and reconnect with their authentic selves and recognize, truly recognize their limitless potential. Oh my gosh. I don't know what to say. That's your career journey is amazing. And, and congratulations on, on what you're doing now with the epicenter and for all the other work that you've done, you know, leading you to, you know, to be on your your true path. Is that right? 
that's what it feels like. I mean, this is the closest I feel I've ever come to to what I imagined my life would be when I was a kid. Do you think that do you think that it's hard for people to to do that for themselves because they get because of, you know, what society tells them to do? You know, they get kind of like locked in to what they think they're supposed to do. Oh yeah, it's so difficult. It's so so difficult because everything in wherever you are in the world is pointing you in one one general direction. And and I I can think back to when I got married. I think getting married is such a great example because it it takes us outside of the job sphere, which I think can be a little bit more sensitive for people. I never wanted to be married. It just wasn't didn't suit me. I knew I didn't want to do it. And I did it anyway, because when I told people that I was going to be getting married, everyone rallied around me. It was the most amazing feeling. It was the first time actually in my whole life, I felt like I was doing something that was right because everybody was on board. Everyone said, oh my gosh, that's so wonderful. We're so happy for you. We're so excited for you. And it felt really good, except except that it felt nothing like me. And when the day came, I was so I felt so stressed for myself, not because of the, the wedding or whatever, because I couldn't care less about it, but because it was so antithetical to my being. And I think that that's what makes it so hard for us to, to leave things or to not stay in things because everything around us is supporting the choice, which I'm going to argue is really not a choice, but the decision to be in that situation. When I was a consultant, everyone told me I should stay a consultant because I made a lot of money. And it took a lot for me to be able to say, you know what? I don't care about the money. I'm going to start a nonprofit, which is not a terribly lucrative thing to do. The same thing with a nonprofit. Being in that space where there's all this recognition takes so much effort to just walk away from all of that. And so what's really necessary in order to do that is to step outside of society for a little while, whether it's a week someplace, or I took a month in a cabin by myself with no internet, no phone, no communication. And it was in that space that I could really see clearly what I was doing. It's almost impossible to see what we're doing with all that's going on around us. Right. Our worlds have become so noisy and Mm -hmm. everything's moving so fast and people don't really seem like they have a lot of patience these days. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of, and then oftentimes, and maybe even myself, like people can get nervous when they're unplugged, when they don't have the noise. I mean, not me so much because I I love being outdoors, but for some people, and especially people who live in the city, I mean, if you put them out in the forest somewhere where it's very quiet, they might have a lot of anxiety, you know, from Mm -hmm. that. And that can't be very healthy. I don't think, you know, we're supposed to, you know, be staring at the screens as much as we do these days. And, but I love, I really love your perspective and the work that you're doing. And I just want to take a quick break and let people know for all those who are just tuning in, you're listening to the what to be show on KSQD Santa Cruz, 90.7 FM. I'm Patrick Hart, and I'm speaking with Allison Paradise, who's the founder and CEO of the Epicenter, which is in an organization that provides an experience of empowerment. And Allison, Do you mind telling us a little bit more about what you're doing with the Epicenter? Oh, it would be my pleasure. Thank you for asking. Yeah. 
the as I mentioned, the vision for the epicenter is to create a, a retreat space where people can come for a week or two weeks and really be outside of of society in a space that has no judgment, is full of trust, and starts with open-ended questions about who you are. It's also all outside of nature because nature provides a, the perfect mirror for us to be able to see how to behave naturally. Because when you look outside, you see the tree is just itself. It's, it's completely, entirely a tree. And I like to use this analogy because I often feel like and this is, I should preface this by saying this is no judgment. I mean, this happens to every single person, myself included. It's a product of the environment that we grow up in. A lot of us are born, let's say, as redwood trees, and we're told by someone in our lives or multiple people in our lives or our culture that you'd really be better off being a blueberry bush. And so we just try desperately to be blueberry bushes, but our nature is a redwood tree. And that's why I like doing things outside because you can really, you can really connect with the true nature of things and have that mirror back for yourself, what your true nature is. The retreat center doesn't exist yet. It's something that we're working towards creating. So in the absence of that, we've been hosting classes here in Santa Cruz through the Parks and Rec Department and also in various other locations where there's space that people will let us have classes. We've been working with people who are ages 7 to 22, although I've also worked personally with people who are older, in particular with adults and parents. We also do a lot of one-on-one -on -one mentorship. So the kinds of things that I'm sharing now, these are the, the types of ideas that get brought up in those guidance sessions where there's a lot of questions that are asked about the choices that have been made in someone's life in order to get them to a place where they can see themselves more clearly and connect with their authentic self. I absolutely love doing that. We've been working with college students and high school students in particular to do that type of work. We also have a series of videos on the website that ask open-ended questions out in nature. And they're very, very short because for, to your point, we don't really want people to be sitting in front of a screen for very long. Some of the questions invite you to go outside and explore. Some of them are, involve art projects. To give an example of an open-ended question that doesn't have a right answer, the first video asks the question, what sound does a rock make? Which is an interesting question. And Agreed, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> it's such a fun question. And it came yeah. to me walking in Elkhorn Slough of all places. Hmm. I was just walking and I looked at a rock and I thought, I wonder what sound you make. And I thought, wow, that's a really interesting question. And then I thought, if I were to draw the color of birdsong, what would that look like? And I thought, wow, we really, we really don't think about our senses in this way is how they're all, they all are really combined. We try to separate them out, but, but they're not really separate. And that's where the idea came from. And it's been, it's been a lot of fun. And I've really enjoyed sharing this perspective through this, through the video, since we're unable to do a lot of this work in person still at the moment. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And do you have any idea like where you might want to open the center that you're envisioning? I found a place that matched what I had drawn on a piece of paper up in Mendocino. I don't know if we'll be able to make that happen or not. It's perfect. But if it doesn't work out, I'm sure another perfect place will appear. 
it's really where it wants to be, not where I think it should be. Hmm. Okay. And you shared with me before the interview that you were involved with a, an art installation downtown at the Ma, the Museum of Art History. Do you want mm-hmm. to tell us a little bit about that? Oh, yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, we created a piece called Entanglement for the Frequency Festival at the Ma oh, that happened in September. And this was very much related to the work that I'm sharing because fundamental to the work at the epicenter is having experiences. You'll probably notice a thread as I've been chatting that a lot of our decisions about what to do with our life don't come from experience of our own selves. They come from what other people are telling us is their experience or the collective experience. And because experience, a true experience is so important for being able to see ourselves we wanted to create a piece that provided an experience of what we called entanglement. The idea of entanglement came from quantum entanglement, which if you're familiar with this, I'm going to now reduce it to a very, very simple explanation. So apologies. (laughs) If you're familiar with it, you're going to be very annoyed at this explanation. And if you're not, it'll be great because it's very easy. The idea is that in quantum entanglement, that two particles act on each other, even though they're spatially separated. So in essence, one particle's behavior affects another particle's behavior, even though they're, they're not touching each other. And this idea, I had done some work on consciousness. I helped write a book on consciousness a few years ago. And one of the ideas that came out of that book was, was a perspective that perhaps entanglement exists on a very large scale. And we called it entanglement at large. So the geodesic dome that we created had lasers and sound. And when you crossed the laser beam, it would produce a sound and it would also change the color of a beam and the sound in another part of the geodesic dome. So in this way, everything everyone did in the space was instantaneously and simultaneously affecting everyone and everything around them. So in essence, acting on someone or affecting someone or something without actually touching it physically. And that experience is incredibly profound because that perspective that everything you do instantaneously and simultaneously affects everyone and everything around you helps with an understanding of there being no separation between us. And this is just a perspective. It's I'm not saying that this is truth with a capital T. This perspective can be very, very valuable, particularly when we try to understand things that are happening to us seemingly happening to us in life. If we're speaking with another person and there's a conflict that's arising, you sort of start to understand, well, if there's no separation, that means I'm contributing to this in some way. Everything is being co-created with all of us all the time. And it really changes how you interact with, with yourself, other people, and in particular with the planet. Well, that sounds, it's very beautiful. And do you think that what you're doing with the epicenter is particularly timely, you know, with everything going on in the world and things slowing down for a lot of people. And I think maybe more people are having time to kind of reevaluate what they're doing, you know, maybe like you have in your life. That's a really good observation. It, it might be. I, I really appreciate that question. I think for some people, yes. For others, particularly as we're trying to work with younger children, 
not so much because I think parents of younger children I am feeling are in a different place Mm -hmm. than perhaps the college students that I'm working with who are much more reflective, self-reflective now than even five, six years ago. Mm -hmm. Allison, do you want to tell us kind of like what your typical day or week looks like with the work you're doing with the Epicenter? Yeah, a typical week is a is a hard one to to come up with because nothing is typical about this. But mm-hmm. I will I will share with uh, with you what let's say the next few weeks look like. Sure. Um, since this is a a project that's just getting started, I, I left it as I mentioned in 2020. It took me some time to to really understand what this what this was going to be. I had tried to work with adults for a little while, just adults, and that was not as satisfying I found. So anyway, I'm getting something started, which means that I spend a lot of the day reaching out to people to see if there's a way for us to collaborate or a way that I can contribute to their existing work with this perspective and this philosophy. There's also a lot of conversations about, I'd mentioned wanting to create this retreat center. So a lot of conversations about how that might happen. It's very much about connections. So meeting people who might know somebody, who might know somebody else, who might know somebody else. So I spend a lot of time talking to people. Unfortunately, often through Zoom, though, I try either to meet in person or speak over the phone because I have a very hard time being in front of a a screen for a long periods of time, especially after I had mentioned I was away from all devices for a while. And aside from the meetings, the rest of the day I spend in reflection, that process of writing down why I was doing the things the way that I did them that I started in Spain is something that has only has only grown as I've gotten older. And there were periods in my life where I didn't write at all, but that has changed. I write every day. I reflect on what's happening. I try to understand what's going on. And then I sit quietly for long stretches in the day, just not thinking, just being, trying to feel what's around me. And that's a lot of what my day looks like. And that's how I can have those meetings and not get attached or sucked into the traditional entrepreneurship route. Because I, I've done that before when I started the nonprofit mm-hmm. My Green Lab and it's very easy to get kind of sucked into that whole thing. Yeah. And it just maybe builds upon itself as it goes. Mm-hmm. It seems like an overall theme with maybe yourself and for what you want to do out there. It seems like it's connecting with yourself and connecting with other people. Mm-hmm. Right. Yes. In an, in an authentic space. Mm-hmm. Yes. Well, I appreciate that very much. And can you give any advice or resources for people who are interested in getting involved with work in alignment with what you do? Well, for sure, I would say reach out to me. Please don't hesitate to reach out to me. This Talking about these sorts of things is my favorite thing to do in the whole world. And it feels like the whole reason that I exist on the planet. So please don't hesitate uh, to send an email. Uh, the website for the epicenter is B, so the, the word B-E, dash the dash epicenter.org. But if you Google the epicenter in Santa Cruz, it should come right up. Uh, So please, yeah, definitely reach out. 
in terms of other resources for for this type of work, there are, well, there are quite a few. The book I would recommend by Alan Watt and the, the Little Prince. That one's easily accessible. The Little Prince is a phenomenal book and has a lot of great insight that can just help when you're feeling like things are overwhelming to remind you what's essential about being. Oh, that's great. Yeah. Maybe starting with those two. Yes. Thank you for providing that, Allison. And can you give any advice to people out there who maybe are unsure about their career path, who maybe feel trapped in their career, maybe not sure in which direction to go? You're in a great spot. That's actually the best spot to be in when you think, when you feel like you don't know, because then you're the most open to receiving the, the direction. The advice I would give is what I did because it really works is to sit down and write, write about how you got to where you are, what influenced the decisions that you've made, and then think back in particular when you're thinking about what it is that you want to do with your work. The question I often ask people is think back to when you were small, because when we were three, four, five years old, We didn't have an idea of who we were supposed to be. Yes, it was swirling around us, but there was enough of our authentic self that was available and accessible to us that we were able to express it. And you can see this. Obviously, I didn't add this to the day, but obviously I work quite a bit with kids. Mm -hmm. And you can see this when, when you're working with especially younger kids that there are these things that they can't help but do. And I don't mean and in a way that's negative or some sort of bad behavior or something like that. I mean, truly things that if you leave them alone for five minutes, they just start to do the thing that's in them. So when you reflect on where it is that you really, that's really truest to you, think back to when you were small. What was it that you loved to do? What was it that you couldn't help but do? And then as you get, as you kind of reflect, when you get older, Think about the things that you can't help but do even now. So for me, for example, I can't help but talk about these things. It's probably pretty obvious from this conversation. I love talking about these things. So if you put me in a party, which was pretty much my nightmare, but if I had to be in some sort of party situation, this is the kind of conversation I would be having. Those are the things that are truest to you because they keep coming up to the surface. So when you look back at your life, think about those things. What was it that you loved to do when you were a kid? And what is it that you can't help but do now? And that should help start guiding you on the path towards what's truest for you. Allison, that's really beautiful and very wise. And I thank you very much for sharing that. Thank you for for giving me a space to share it. Yeah, absolutely. You're very welcome. Is there anything else that you would like to leave us with? The title of this broadcast, right, is who to be. Is what to be. What to be, right? Mm -hmm. Sorry. Is what to be. Well, then that's it makes it even easier. So what to be is you. That's easy. The challenge is figuring out who you are when you strip away everything that you've been told that you're supposed to be, everything that everybody thinks you should be, when you get rid of all of that, at your core, who are you? Once you know that, everything else falls into place. That's pretty awesome. Uh, Again, Allison, I just want to thank you very much for taking your time and 
sharing your very meaningful and deep perspective. I really appreciated talking to you and, you know, the things you said definitely resonate with me and I would hope, and I would imagine that with others as well. Thank you. Truly. This was an honor. Thank you. You're very welcome. And thank you to all of our listeners for tuning in to today's career story with me, Patrick Hart on our show, what to be with today's guest, Allison Paradise, who's the founder and CEO of the Epicenter, which is an organization that helps provide an experience of empowerment. If you have any questions or would like to share your career story with us, please send us an email at whattoberadio at gmail.com. If you've enjoyed our show, please join us again at 90.7 FM, KSQD Santa Cruz at 7 p.m. on Sundays and streaming online at ksqd.org. Or you can find us on major podcast streaming platforms like Spotify. And please visit our website at yfiob.org for more information about your futures as a business. Thank you very much and see you next time.